bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica, and Aaron is not here with us today because Aaron is in Portugal having fun. And um, yeah, so she will be back with us next week. I'm not, though, going to let you all down because I have a spicy spicy episode for you on our women of color on the campaign trail for the Ontario election. I want to welcome Naomi Sayers, Ashnabe lawyer from Sault Ste. Marie, who has a very interesting story about her nomination process as she is running as an independent. So I want you all to open your ears and open your eyes to Naomi, who is also prolific on Twitter. Ed, welcome, Naomi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am. Okay, so I've been following you on Twitter for years. Years. No joke. And you know why? Because, like, I always look for women who are outspoken, who, you know, stand in, in, in like, who stand in it and are like, look, this is who I am. <laughs> this is what I do. These are my experiences. And yeah, I have something to say. And you were always one of those people on Twitter. And I was like, yes, let's do. Yes. So I'm so excited that you're running in a in this provincial election um, in Sault Ste. Marie. What is the name of your riding? So the riding is the Sault Ste. Marie riding. Uh, it's just the city of Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, okay. it, doesn't, it doesn't include uh, the surrounding First Nations. So the surrounding First Nations would fall under the Algoma Manitoulin district, which it covers a vast district. Like there would absolutely be no way that I, as an independent, could even have tackled that. Right. Um, but the downside is that, uh, you know, uh, you know, indigenous supporters from those communities obviously can't vote for me. Yes. And then you have to appeal to white people. Well, there's some uh, inner city indigenous folks. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, you know, part of my campaign is reaching out to communities who haven't perhaps been targeted before or communicated with. Um, Such as? Uh, so the uh, some people would call... Uh, maybe so a, I don't want to call it a poor neighborhood but like um disadvantaged yeah disadvantaged uh neighborhoods uh and so just just going out like being like hey you know and I'm here and you know what they may be not accepting but that's fine it is what it is well I think that okay so I'm a big proponent in bringing people into the political system because mm -hmm. policies that arise from the political system affect them Yes. And so like like I know here we try to break down some stuff um, and, you know, break down policy to really figure out how it affects different groups of people. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, try to do it in some sort of intersectional way. Right. And yeah. I, I really do think that that is how we should look at policy right now. Um, but 
you know, instead of me waxing poetic about policy and all that stuff, let's get back to you. And why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah. So I'm, I'm an Indigenous lawyer based out of Sault Ste. Marie, grew up in Sault Ste. Marie, lived in Sault Ste. Marie um, from Garden River First Nation, though. So uh, went to school in Sault Ste. Marie because there's no on-reserve schooling, uh, obviously, (laughs) First Nation. Um, So we were bused every day into school. Um, uh, In terms of my connections to the Sioux, like I left when I was in my early I want to say I was 19, maybe 20. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the year off the top of my head right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back in 2019. I came back after I left a job at Hydro One mm-hmm. in downtown Toronto. So <laughs> so you were part of legal counsel for Hydro One? Yeah. yeah. So I was, mm-hmm. um, I, I worked there on some pretty big projects. Uh, and when I say major projects, I mean like, billion dollar projects right um impacting like uh electricity across the province so it um i learned a lot in terms of stakeholders how a big corporation like that works you know how to uh work with a range of clients right so i have obviously years of experience working with vulnerable marginalized people but like there i was working with like people who are same thing like vulnerable marginalized folks are experts in their own life but yeah there I was like working with like experts in the field like they are mm-hmm. the go-to people like when you think of electricity you think of hydro one right mm-hmm. so <laughs> it was uh, a learning experience and I'm so happy that I did it um, I learned a lot about you know litigation strategy ultimate outcomes you know difference between business advice versus legal advice and how political decisions impact the business uh different business units so people like and I don't think people know that about me right um so uh I have like a diverse range of experiences definitely and what kind of law do you practice now so I primarily have um a I would call it a litigation practice Mm -hmm. um so that's predominantly why I was leaving Hydro One. It's it's not nothing against Hydro One. It's just, you know what, I wanted more litigation experience. Um, and so I moved home and I was like, this is what I do. Here's what I'm working on. Uh, so I have a lot of criminal files, criminal defense files, uh, consent and capacity board files. So people who are detained in psychiatric wards across the province. Mm-hmm. I am the only Indigenous woman doing that work in the Algoma region. So mm-hmm. th- a lot of uh, my clients are Indigenous, and so I am the only Indigenous woman doing that work here. And what kind of what kind of cases do you see just off the top of your head? Yeah, so a lot of charter uh, issues arise. So just today, I was able to resolve a matter involving a single Black mother uh, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's in the process of being resolved, uh, and I just have to correspond. Um, and I, I hope it will be resolved. Um, but, uh, you know, those are like the, the breadth of uh, cases that I have and just. And what uh, kind of charges are they looking at in general? Like just on all my files? Yeah, oh, yeah just could be anywhere from like armed robbery, sexual assault, uh, wow. interference, um, I, child porn. So like there's a. A huge 
push from policing to investigate child porn. And that's what happens, right? When you put the money into certain like, you know, charges or offenses, Mm -hmm. like you are going to have an uptick in those kinds of investigations. Right. Right. So So I think that's very important to start a thread on. Okay. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm, I'm serious because I think the idea is that like people don't understand that sometimes the tail wags the dog and that the more money you put into something. So Mm -hmm. if your mandate is to, I don't know, um, let's say it's, it's gender-based violence, right? The, the more, the more charges you're going to get. Yes. Um, but the more uh, it, it, help me out here, Naomi, I had this idea well, that I lost well, it. It's, it's the same thing, right? So if you invest in a certain, so speaking corporate business speak, if you say, if the government says we're going to invest in this kinds of business, these kinds of businesses, of course, you're going to have an uptick in those kinds of businesses, right? Right. Because they follow the money. Yeah. So it's just, it's just logic. It is what it is. Like whatever it's the facts, right? Yeah. Um, when you pour more resources into a specific sector to solve a social issue or Mm -hmm. a problem, Mm -hmm. you will have people trying to think of solutions or just doing what they've always done, uh, in the case of, uh, policing, which is arrest people and charge people. Mm -hmm then you'll have an uptick in in those kinds of offenses. So you must see policing from a completely different lens then, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Policing is a hundred percent a reactive issue to crime. It does not solve crime. It does not prevent crime. It just reacts to crime. So as a reaction, so what, what are you proposing that we do differently? For example, (laughs) Uh, well, I have been saying this for years is we need to invest in, you know, issues that lead to crime. So you have people who are, you know, uh, the majority of people in prison are, are not what people would assume they are. So like uh, the big bad, scary guy, right? So mm-hmm. generally people of limited means uh, who are committing crimes or offenses defined by the code uh, that are essentially social problems right Mm -hmm. so um how do we solve those social problems well let's give people the support they need to be successful in the community right so if they need safe housing if they need education if they want to do a specific job like these people uh, you know want to work if they want to work and can work um you know it's it's, people don't wake up and say i want to just commit crime for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. and so like the idea is that the face of crime and criminality has to be pretty much looked at in general, well, I think we just need to have honest conversations about what policing actually is, right? So, right. policing is a, re- a reaction to crime. It's it does not prevent crime. Yeah, and we've poured a lot of resources into that reaction. Yes, and I like, and you know, that's just a conversation we need to have. I, like, you know, people will throw their arms up in the air and say, "Oh my god, I can't believe you're saying this," and they'll you know probably twist my words and and say I, I said something like burn it all down or something <laughs> well I'll say it <laughs> I mean burn it all down I I just here's the thing like I just get to the point where I'm just like okay um 
I I understand. We understand about the social determinants of crime, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at least we should. Um, yet we continue to criminalize people. And there has been especially a push in the last, like, I don't know, 50 years or so to criminalize people under the banner of individual responsibility, mm-hmm. which which denies the interrogation of the structures and systems that keep people where they are. We're having a whole thing about ODSP right now. Mm-hmm. And looking at the rates is like government. It No, it isn't like it is government sanctioned po- poverty. Mm-hmm. And to say that to criminalize people for trying to get out under the thumb of government, either a the thumb of government or because they don't have the resources or because we've we've scaled back in favor of that reaction. Mm-hmm. And what but what we haven't talked about a lot on this podcast is prisons. Right. Yeah. And that is the, the judicial sort of corrective system in quotations is the other side of the coin to policing. Right. Yeah. And like the same thing, jail does not solve crime. It reacts to crime. Right. So I think people like, okay, why are we reacting to crime and not solving or preventing crime? Exactly. Um, like but I then said, it also like it also leads to different conversations too, right? Like, yeah, what is crime, right? So crime, crime, you know, it depends on how the society chooses to define crime, right? Right. So is it according to the criminal code? Is it moral? It's a is it you know all of those things, right? So let's switch gears and talk about what made you run. What made you want to run? <laughs> so. Uh, I actually was talking to an another another Indigenous woman lawyer uh, who I consider a friend uh, and we met through Twitter and social media and um, she was like yeah you know uh, she was also going through the I, I won't talk about her experiences but she was also going through the same nomination process mm-hmm. um, and she was like yeah do this with me I was like sure absolutely mm-hmm. and so we we're doing it together supporting each other like did you get your signatures like how's it going um, and then being like, oh yeah, we also have to do this other thing. Like we also have to do the nomination like mm-hmm. for elections, Ontario, like not just for the liberal party. Um, and you know, I was, it was like three weeks, it's April 6th. I sent them everything. Like I talked to them and they're like, yeah, I talked to the, this the representative and I talked to him. Um, and he was like, yeah, you're, you're the only candidate. Like you're the, you're, you're it. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, whatever. What's the risk? Mm-hmm. I don't get vetted. I don't get nominated or something. Mm-hmm. I don't get elected. Right. Um, but the messaging and sort of the actions were two different things. Right. So April 6th, they had everything, meaning every single possible issue that could have been an issue was given to them. And I mm-hmm. give, I gave them updates on issues uh, because throughout from April 6th, um, you know, I, I'm like, I need, how am I supposed to go out and get signatures now? Right. Like it, in normal pre COVID times, I would have like said, come to my party and come sign my papers. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't do that now. Right. Like I, I probably would have got dinged on social media if so you know I was hosting a party to get signatures. Right. And so basically what you're saying is the nomination process kind of dragged on to, yeah. 
um, to the point where you were like, uh, how am I supposed to get signature or the vetting process? Sorry. Uh, you're like, how am I supposed to get the signatures I need in the time that I so need I to, got, to get I got, nominated? I got the signatures. Okay. I got the signatures. And then I asked him, I said, you know, how is the nomination going to look like? Cause I, I still need to get the other nominations for elections of Ontario. Right. So right. there would have been other signatures. Um, and they're like, oh, they'll be simple. You just get a acclaimed and that's it. And mm-hmm. um, so I got, I met all the requirements for the party, mm-hmm. uh, gave them everything. Um, and then it just, I just, you know, when you get this sense and you're like, I don't think we're on the same page here. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I can't remember what the day it was, but I was just like, you know what? May 3rd, if I don't hear from you, I'm withdrawing from your process and that's going to be it. Really? May 3rd is the day that the writ, the writ was set to drop. And I was like, and I think, like, I think I knew, like, it, like, I never made it known that I was going to run independent. Like, I was like, whatever. I just collected 25 signatures from people I don't know. Like, I could go collect 25 signatures from people I don't know again. Right, right. Um, so uh and also people wanted to sign my papers but they didn't want to support the liberal party so they're like sorry and then when it when they announced their decision not to vet me so um what what when was that april 28th but okay so from april so they so april 6th yeah they had everything so they had everything and and april 28th they announced that they were not moving forward with the vetting process yeah, yeah. Okay. So gotcha. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call it a decision, right? So that's an important distinction here, right? So they didn't even give me a decision with any reasons, which you know I think is goes to the fairness of the process, right? It's, it's right. just like we're not going to vet you, and you're that's it. Had they just told me that on April sixth, and they just said, you know, sorry, you don't fit into our nomination plan, right? We wish you all the best. Please come support us next election and look forward to volunteering at lo- the local level. And right. I mean, like, great, that's a hundred percent. Okay. But had whatever their, am I allowed to swear? Oh yeah, please do. <laughs> their bullshit reasons, quote unquote, been true. They would have been just as true on April 6th. Right. And any time between April 6th and April 28th. Right. Right. Okay. So, so that's why, that's why I like, that's why I, like this, this, the integrity of their process. That's why I'm like, I don't, something doesn't sit right with me. Right. Well, obviously, um, you know, they uh, chose somebody else, apparently <laughs> for your who, riding. Who apparently... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to get this name so wrong and I don't give a shit. Like. Aiden Kalioinen, Aiden Kalioinen. I'm not sure. From Espanola. Yes, I'll, I'll give some context for your listeners who may not okay. know. Okay, who was an 18-year-old Sudbury High School student? Okay, 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 and he's white. Okay, let okay. Please <laughs> let me step back and just present 
this so that our listeners understand <laughs> what the fuck, okay? And <laughs> in the corner over here, in the left corner, is Naomi <laughs> Sayers, distinguished Ashnabi lawyer, grew up in Sioux, has extensive legal experience, knows the social issues because she works in them. <laughs> Did I say distinguished lawyer? I think so. <laughs> okay. And in the right corner is Aiden, whatever, who hails from Espanola, who's an 18 year old Sudbury High School student. What the fuck, Naomi? What the fuck? What the fuck? So, um, Espanola, just for your listeners, um, <laughs> is about maybe, I think, an hour and a half from Sault Ste. Marie. Anyways, I have files there too. Um, the issues there, you know, could have some similarity, but are different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much smaller town. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of a town in Southern Ontario. I would say maybe Stratford. Maybe. How did it but, get the name Espanola? I'm not sure. I think it might have something to do with just, um, I'm not even sure. I don't even want to quote. Anyway, anyway, that's just um, an aside. Yes. But it has like major industries that are there. So it's different from Stratford in that way. So, okay. But I think the size of it maybe is tiny. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it has like uh, different industries in terms of employment, mm-hmm. uh, but some pretty major industries there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a much different geography issues, uh, if you will. Oh, um, evidently. <laughs> That's um, not the only thing that was different, was it? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm not like, I'm not okay. upset. You, like, you know what? You know what? Please, please let me let me reveal this to our listeners because you know what's coming. OK, OK. <laughs> OK, so there have been some reports about uh, this kid's well, man or whatever, social media. OK, yeah. So he so apparently uh, Kelly Oynen, Reef Aiden referred to himself in online chats as quote slap my n um okay what does what does slap my n that's is that nuts slap I'm, my I think it might nuts? be nuts but i mean still uh apparently the notice from the liberal party was they met he met all the requirements so. oh, but, oh oh and had participated in discussions where participants joked about people dying of AIDS. Oh, yes. And I'm also a board member of an organization that advocates on behalf of people who live with what we call now episodic disabilities. So living with HIV. (gasps) Wow. It's a national organization, by the way. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like... Oh my god! That I'm the go- I'm the governance I, chair of that board. I, so. I'm sorry, <laughs> this is killing me right now. <laughs> I mean, how I mean, much can you step in it? Really, it's just the facts, right? So no, no, no. Hey, hey, I love these facts. Okay, <laughs> give me more of these facts. Okay, so did so? Okay, 
so I just want to be clear. Like, I'm not upset. Okay. Like I always encourage young people and I encourage people of all stripes to participate in politics. So I'm never like, listen, you're conservative, get out of my face. No, I'm like, Hey, cool. You want to vote for them. That's great. That's your right. Whoever you want to vote for. Right. Just you don't have to tell anybody. That's also your right. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to know. (laughs) (laughs) So So I just want that to be clear. Like anytime young people can become involved in politics is great. Um, but I want to give another important context to this on April 28th, when this notice of acclaimed, whatever person came out earlier that day, I submitted a privacy request to the chief privacy officer of the party. Mm-hmm. April 28th, I was like, why? Basically the summary of that request was, I would like information as to who accessed my social media, particularly my Twitter on Saturday night on April 26th at 10 p.m. from yeah, the iPhone. Yeah, because you gave them access to your social media, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Part of part of that access wasn't 24-7 access that you could get to go in whenever you want. Right. And then apparently they also used a platform to access it on several occasions. And so I said, I want to know who had access. Right. And what was the, what was the reason for that access? Like on right. multiple occasions, right? It should have just been get in, get out, done, right? right. It's not, I didn't consent to you continuously going in, checking up, monitoring yeah. me in that way, policing me, surveilling me. Um, so uh, April 28th, I asked for that. And then the notice of uh, the acclaimed person came out later that day. And then the next day, the chief privacy officer emailed me and said, after the whole issue and, you know, he was acclaimed and then not, not, not acclaimed. He was like, we'll respond to your request shortly. (laughs) So to me, there's like this underlying tone of like, just this, uh, I don't want to say targeting, but perhaps targeting right yes because yeah yeah because yeah I I hear what you're saying mm-hmm. and like what like you know why would they access your social media when they didn't need to especially when they knew they were going to not yeah. vet you anymore yeah and then also like once I start asking questions uh, because their privacy policy changed on their public facing website on April 28th, when I asked for it, I said, I said, who do I contact for a FIPA request mm-hmm. according to your privacy policy? Obviously what request? Uh, so FIPA freedom of information, uh, privacy. So generally, so like, um, like an access to information provincially. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, but generally, uh, provincial parties are not captured by it, but because they listed it and referred to it in the privacy policy, like my position is that like, look, you are agreeing to be part of that jurisdiction, like falling under the umbrella of the commissioner. Mm-hmm. So um, April 28th, sometime after that date, they removed it. I see. Oh, sneaky devils. Yeah. So I printed out that copy. So who is running for the liberals in your riding? Uh, Liam Hancock. Another white guy, yes. He's from Etobicoke. What? (laughs) 
I don't know Etobicoke, so I can't give any no, context it's not to your fucking Sault Ste. Marie. That's the <laughs> this is a joke now. Okay, <laughs> this is a friggin' joke. Okay, so okay, so <laughs> I, I I find this so like a comedy of white supremacist errors that I'm just like, wow. Wow. Is this is this not the same Del Duca who said that he wanted 50 percent of like his MP MPPs to be women? Well, I think he met that target. So I think now they're just. Oh, so now that they met that target, they don't have to actually vet any more women. They've made their quota and that's it. Well, they're apparently nice to know. They're apparently not vetting the men either. So but acclaiming them. <laughs> I don't understand this at all. Okay. I, no, I do understand it. That's the problem. Okay. <laughs> so, so I have, I would love to talk about sex work with you <laughs> because, and I was like, Naomi, are you okay with talking about this? She's like, cool. Okay. So <laughs> This is the thing. I want to talk about sex work because we haven't talked a lot about it on this podcast. And I feel like you have a particular lens in that area mm-hmm. for a particular reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because you used to you used to dance, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I read that. And yeah. I feel like you told a story about getting into a fight. <laughs> and I was just like, that sounds like Edmonton. <laughs> No, I won't disclose where. No, no, we won't. Um, no, we won't. But, but yeah. Anyway, we'll leave that it. aside. We'll leave that aside. She did not start the fight. That is the point. I, but she yeah. finished it. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so, but going back to that, like, what are some of the policies, for example? What are some of the things you've seen? Because I'm sure you've also defended people um, doing sex work. So it's mm-hmm. not just about that. It's just that you bring a particular set of experiences that you particularly interface with those people that we talk about on a daily basis. And that that has given you a particular lens from which to look at policy through. Mm-hmm. And especially knowing, you know, about those, the, the stakeholders of power and knowing how they view things and see those things, that sort of connection, that bridge is Mm -hmm. so necessary in our politics right now, which Mm -hmm. is why I find your candidacy so friggin' interesting. Yeah. So one of the major issues that I see right now is how, um, like behind the definition of a worker is in terms of reality today. So, And that impacts not just like, you know, your Uber drivers, uh, but it also impacts strippers as well. So generally strippers are forced to sign these kinds of contracts where they are deemed an independent contract, an independent contractor. Like Uber drivers. Yes. Yes. Uh And interesting. in reality, the club will set uh, restrictions on how they can work so that they are likely going to be captured, um, but you know there's not enough resources, or uh, there has been bad case law uh, that have impacted the strippers um, in terms of how they can access their rights in the workplace. Right. So okay. So before you go on, let's go back to how 
the club that uh, uh, a dancer will work for mm-hmm. imposes restrictions that adversely affects them. Can you kind of yeah, tell so us the, what that looks be like? like? You're going to work shifts and you have to work X number of shifts. And, you, and when you're at the shift, you have to wear these kinds of clothes mm-hmm. and you have to do this number of stage shows and you have to give us X number of dollars out of the money that you make at the end of the day. So it's, it's very, it's, it's like, as if you're working a shift as an employee at a, Mm -hmm. at a bar, but they're trying to say you're an independent contractor. Um, and, but you can't set your rates, for example, as an independent contractor, I think that's very important for people to understand that independent, I, I, I'm assuming that part of being an independent contractor, the assumption is that you do set your rates. And you have like the freedom, the freedom to, come to and go. Right. Right. So and you have control over your work environment. The, da- the strippers don't. Right. And the Uber drivers don't and et cetera, et cetera. The DoorDash drivers don't, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to kind of lay the foundation just to, just to be like, okay, um, you know, this how is do we make- what, how do yeah. we make these? Because I always say that the devil's in the details, right? And those are one of the details mm-hmm. and the distinctions that have a difference, for example, that, you know, is important in labor law. And one of the things is, is that, yeah, we should be redefining what a worker is, right? Anyway, carry on. Um, you were also saying that, um, so, for example, that's what makes them more of an employee in practice, even though they are classified as an independent worker. And that means what? That they don't get benefits. They don't get benefits. They don't uh-huh. get access to uh, EI. certain rights under yeah, the Employment Standards Act. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no like severance if fired, like if you're fired, you're out, you're done. Like that's the mm-hmm. end of it. Um, sometimes the clubs can actually impose a fine on girls that is like super arbitrary um, and it uh, acts as like a constructive dismissal. Um, Mm -hmm. So you'd be like, okay, well, here's the fine because you didn't follow these rules and the girl can't pay it off. Right. Or the girl can't pay it. And so she's effectively like, well, I can't go back to work there because I've been fined and that's, that's that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And it could be for silly things too. Like, uh, you dance to the wrong song. You dance really? to the wrong genre of songs at night. And I've seen it play out like that. Like, uh, uh, particularly there's been like an arbitrary rules in terms of like how many black girls can dance. on the floor. <gasps> yeah. Really? It's, it's really bad. And like some clubs are like, you can't dance to hip hop. And obviously what, what does that mean? Like, yeah. I don't want any. It's black actually black. Yeah. 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 So, um, so just really arbitrary rules in, in that manner. Um, and so, uh, you know, the effect of that then is you can't access things like, so, um, and go to uh, like the ministry of labor, for example, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, hypothetically they could, but you know, there, there's still the barriers that they would have to overcome. Right. Um, so in terms of, you know, uh, just something that, you know, that I'm passionate about, obviously, is, is how do we prevent, uh, you know, the unfairness in that from happening? And well, you know, one option is like, why don't we just review 
what how the Employment Standard Act defines a worker. Like, right. We have litigation happening, like in the courts for, you know, the DoorDash and the Fedora workers and all mm. that. Litigation is great, but litigation is inaccessible, long and unpredictable. And it's not and, legislation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can result in some legislative response. Yes, yes, but for sure. But that's a response and it's still not legislation. Yeah. yeah and yeah. And so like you know, when you're looking at the definition of a worker in the Employment Standards Act, it's like, okay, well, let's just go there and and let's, let's see if we can review that and modernize it. You know, when, when um, I was reading the Ontario Liberal Platform, that one of the things that popped up and popped into my head that I think that's one of the things that they were talking about doing. And I remember thinking, so why don't we do this for sex workers? Yeah. And so um, the example that I give um, and I think it's a very powerful example. It was like, I was stabbed at work by another stripper. Um, she, you know, there was some systems involved. She was, she was high. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I felt sorry for her. Um, I couldn't call the police. I didn't want to call the police uh, because it just would have created more problems in my life. Um, and obviously like the police, what they would have, what judged me because I'm working at a particular club. Mm-hmm. and obviously an indigenous woman right mm-hmm. um they uh I obviously didn't also didn't want to impact her because she was a single mother like mm-hmm. if I call the police on her like what's going to happen to her ch- children right um so but I couldn't apply to the criminal compensation board I felt I couldn't apply to the criminal compensation board because like sex work exists in this weird realm where it's like okay we let it happen but you know, we don't want to hear about it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we generally think it's a crime anyways. Yeah. So um, one of the, so criminal, the criminal comp- injuries compensation board was uh, done away with by Ford, uh, sa- sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's like a no more uh, or it's reformatted. Um, uh, but generally before you could apply and you could receive compensation for for injuries received at work. Right. So, but if my work is not considered work and not valued as work, then I I can't access it. Right. And Mm -hmm. then, but also if it's deemed like that, that board would say, if you're doing engaging in criminal activity at the time, you cannot apply to this board basically. So (laughs) the the effect of that is, you know, uh, you have some people who are left out of a benefit just just for simply because society looks at what they do as um, criminal. Yeah. Hence, going back to the beginning is what is crime? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. What so is crime? We, what is criminal? What is a worker? Yeah. So I told that story mm-hmm. at uh, the government of Canada's parliament standing committee on justice and human rights when like the parliamentarians were asking me they were like well tell us your story and I'm like I I, I told you this story like three times already you're not listening (laughs) shocking (laughs) (laughs) like that I don't know how more impactful it can get like what happens when you criminalize activity right what were they looking for trauma porn I'm 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 not sure okay yeah so I testified at the uh Canada's uh, Parliament Standing Committee on Justice and Human Rights mm-hmm. on the review of 
the what we call PSEPA, so prostitution or protection of community and exploited persons act it's the anti-prostitution bill that was enacted by Stephen Harper right um and I I was I opposed it when it was enacted and then mm. I was brought back for the review so it's no it's like secret that I used to do sex work and that I'm an advocate for sex workers mm-hmm. so well um fuck man I'm gonna end on that and you gave me I feel like you get I feel like you were you illuminated a lot about sex work and a lot about sex work as it pertains to labor practices Mm -hmm. and that is friggin' valuable Mm -hmm. so thank you Naomi for coming on and sharing your story and not being afraid Mm -hmm. right and and just thank you for all the work you do keep firing it up on twitter by the way whenever people like every now and then i get somebody as oh you should run and i always tell them <laughs> i don't want to scrub my twitter and you know what that is usually where they're like oh yeah okay and I, and, and, and that is my like no okay yeah. that is my no because as soon as i say that they're like uh okay you know what i mean because i'm yeah. not going to I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. And so if you can't, I, sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So I, I respect everything that you do and I love seeing the way you do it. And just thank you for giving us your time. Cause yeah. I know it's the long days for you. You were up before four today, weren't you? Or around four. I was up at four 30. Um, yeah. Just because it's my brain works better at that time. Okay. So, and I'm, I have no distractions. So it's yeah, like, yeah. get lots done, prepare yeah. for court, have a morning after morning break, yeah. a nice long lunch, yeah. and then get back into the evening shift. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for making us a part of your evening shift. <laughs> no problem. We will talk soon and good luck. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody. That is it. Um, I want to thank Naomi for coming through and like hanging out with us and actually lending us some of her experience and her brain and her expertise just so that we know a little bit more. And isn't that the point? We know a little bit more. And then we're going to ask you to do a little bit more because that's what we do. Anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Ciao. Bad and bullshit. Thank <laughs> you.